Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. When it comes to swimming, there aren't many more successful swimmers than this week's guest on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. I'm delighted to say that this week's guest is Natalie Coughlin, the three-time Olympian, 12-time Olympic medalist, 20-time World Championship medalist, and she was an absolute pleasure to talk to on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. We cover a lot of things, talking about her potential new cookbook, the fact that she is such a very busy lady, was on Dancing with the Stars, in fact, among many other TV shows. We talk a lot about nutrition, we talk a lot about her training schedules and everything to do with that, and working in a positive environment. We talk about the different Olympic Games she attended from 2004 up to 2012, how difficult it was for her watching from the sidelines in 2016, and what it was like to captain the US Olympic swimming team in 2008 and 2012. We talk about coping with pressure. We talk about whether some of the swimmers turn to her for advice. And we also talk about how organized she is, in particular, the Japanese magic art of tidying it's a really good interview with natalie from my point of view i think what we find every single week is we find that a lot of these stars they learn from their mistakes and they take hold of what they did wrong and they try to improve on it the following week and there is a couple of mistakes i personally make in this podcast and i'm not too pleased with it and i was a bit frustrated with it after the show firstly You'll hear at the beginning, I introduced Natalie's name and I pronounce it wrong. I pronounce it the typical British way. Now, I know in America they call a name like Craig, Craig, and that kind of does annoy me. But we, in England, we would normally pronounce Natalie's name Coughlin, and yet she pronounces it Coughlin, which you'll hear at the end when she says her name, at the end when she talks about her Twitter handles. And if I even look at Natalie's website you see it's got a pronunciation guide there. So I was very annoyed with myself that I wasn't able to do that. And you'll also hear me mention something about a plastic medal rather than a bronze medal. It was a headline which caught my attention when doing my research just before speaking to Natalie. I wasn't able to fully find out what that meant. 
And so I raised it as a question, and I shouldn't have raised it as a question. It made me look a bit silly. I hope it didn't cause her any offence. She kind of laughed and played it off, being the true pro that she is. But I felt it was it was bad journalism from my part. And all I can say is that we do have to learn from our mistakes, and I think that's what we do on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. I think we learn that is what makes the very best people in their industries. And... Let's hope I don't make those same silly mistakes again. But, you know, we are only human. And I I still think we got a pretty great interview out of Natalie. And I'm really glad that you can learn from her because she really is one of the best in the world. Just before we get to the interview with Natalie, a quick reminder that today's show is brought to you by Audible. They're one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. It's a product I personally use. It's a product I personally use. If you'd like to know more about it, go try it out. Get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook download. It's really easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That code one more time, audibletrial.com forward slash best. You'd also be helping support our show by doing that. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to the interview with the 12-time Olympic medalist swimming champion, Natalie Coughlin. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Natalie Coughlin, Olympic swimming champion. Welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. It's so great to have you on the show. Now, the one thing I've learned about you while doing my research is you're a very busy lady. You have so much on your plate, (laughs) not just a swimmer, but you do recipes and you're on Dancing with the Stars and you do TV shows. What are you up to right now? Well, currently, um, I'm I'm working on like the next step. Um, I'm not not retired by any means, but just kind of looking forward to the next year or so. Um, so you mentioned recipes and cooking. Um, I am in the middle of getting a, um, a cookbook, uh, together or at least, um, you know, trying to get a cookbook sold. So that's been quite exciting and a challenge and, you know, just a new thing that I'm, um, learning, uh, you know, how to get a book proposal, (laughs) how how to, how to set up a book proposal and get it sold. So, um, that's kind of the, the next, uh, challenge for me. So what will this cookbook be about? What, what, what's the angle of it? The angle of it is, you know, for so many years as an athlete, especially I think as a female athlete, people ask me, what is your diet like? What is your diet like? And they, they imagine, you know, 10,000 calories and, and they kind of want to live vicariously through you, like thinking that all I'm doing is stuffing my face all day, (laughs) (laughs) which isn't, isn't necessarily true. Um, and I, I believe that the athlete's diet doesn't have to be that different than the normal person. Um, obviously we need to eat a little bit more, um, but you could eat healthfully um, while still eating for pleasure. It's not just about punishing yourself and eating, you know, broccoli and dried chicken breast and brown rice every night. Um, you know, I, I do have a glass of wine with dinner and I do cook with butter. And, but at the same time, you know, I, I eat a lot of vegetables and I get really good quality proteins. And so 
it's a way, I think it's a very approachable way to healthy cooking that is sustainable for people. Um, it's not something that you'll do as a fad for a month and then feel great and then go back to your, your old eating ways. So when you mention wine, would you say there's always this talk about the Italians would always have a glass of red wine with dinner and things like that? Are you, are you someone who says, all right, you've done all that hard work in the day, you can have a glass of wine almost every day rather than kind of be clean for the whole week and then have just one day of splurging? Is it is it better to be doing the good and the bad minimally each day or can you do it clean for five, six days and then have one really bad day? I, I think the splurge day, um, that works for some people, uh, but that's never worked for me. Um, deprivation is not the way that I've ever approached anything. Um, I think it might be the psychology of me. If I tell myself that I can't have something, all I do is obsess about it. Uh, you know, whether it's wine or, um, you know, like I, I'm not a sweets person, but I love chocolate. So I'll have a few chocolate almonds every day, like big deal. <laughs> you know, um, I, I think that's a better way to approach it. Um, and, and for me, it's, if I look at my day of eating, what I try and look at is, have I had all the vegetables that I need to get? Do I, did I get enough protein throughout the day, whether it's animal protein or vegetable protein? Did I get enough protein and have I met these requirements? And then everything else, you just kind of use your logic. Um, and I think it's a lot easier than, you know, beating yourself over the head, trying to maintain a diet that's just not possible. <laughs> so let, let's go even a bit more deeper on that. When you're in the middle of training, when you're, you're training at your hardest, say leading up to a major championships, what, what are you having for breakfast? And, and how many how many times a day are you eating, would you say? Uh, quite a bit. I would say I would eat maybe five or six smaller meals. Um, so in heavy, heavy training, I would have, you know, first breakfast, then second breakfast, then a lunch, then a snack, then dinner. Um, so first breakfast is usually very, very early um, since I get to the pool um, a little after 5 a.m. So um, I'll have, you know, a, a bunch of steel cut oats uh, that are already cooked in the fridge and they'll have, you know, coconut oil and flaxseed and almonds and um, maybe some dried cherries or, and, and, you know, just something mixed and that I could just pop in the microwave and eat it, you know, um, relatively quickly. Um, and then I'll come home, have some sort of omelet or egg dish. Um, I, I raise, raise chickens for eggs. Um, so I have, oh. <laughs> I have way more eggs than I, you know, know what to do with sometimes. Um, so I, those are in my diet quite a bit. Um, and then, you know, some sort for, for lunch, uh, some sort of protein and, um, maybe a grain and a vegetable. Um, it's sometimes it's just leftovers from the night before. Um, sometimes it's a pre-made meal. Um, I actually work with this company called, uh, Luvo and, uh, it's frozen food. That's actually very healthy. It, it has whole grains. It has, you know, two to three of your daily vegetable, um, and it has quality protein. So sometimes if I'm on the go, that might be a good option. Um, I'll have a massive green smoothie. Um, so uh, like some, some sort of, you know, midday, um, mid afternoon, maybe that has, you know, kale, collard greens, uh, parsley, lemon juice, banana, pineapple. Um, I'll make a giant 
you know, batch of that and just divvy it out throughout the week. And then for dinner, um, again, some sort of, um, you know, like maybe some roasted vegetables, a salad, some sort of protein, whether, you know, it's fish, chicken, beef, um, something like that, glass of wine, um, and then, you know, my chocolate almonds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, w- with all of that information and everything you've learned by doing that, I-, I can't wait to read your book when it comes out or, or listen to it on-, on Audible or something like that. That'd be great to, to see. You mentioned you you. St- you start your day at about five o'clock for training you're, you're at the pool there why is it so early what is it about training at that time in the morning well swimmers have to train twice a day um uh, most of the time you know morning and evening and because i train at uc berkeley we have to keep in mind that a lot of the athletes are still college students um so uh classes begin at 8 a.m so that means we have to get about a two hour session in before 8am. So that's about six to seven 45 in the water. Um, and you know, because I'm not a spring chicken, I have to, I have to get to the pool about 45 minutes early, um, to do my prep work. Um, so that includes, you know, stretching some abs, uh, some yoga slash Pilates moves, uh, shoulder exercises, back exercises, things to get me warmed up so that when I jump in the water at 6 a.m., I'm, I'm ready to go. What is it about that school that makes it so successful? You know, I, I think Tom Shields and maybe Nathan and Adrian, they, they both went to that school. And every yeah. time I hear about swimming, I, I hear that school. What is it about it? Oh gosh, it's really hard to say. We have, I mean, fantastic coaches. Um, you know, I've I've been training with both Tom and Nathan for the past four years. Um, so we have great coaches that not only coach us well, but have done a fantastic job of creating an environment for success. Um, they create um, an environment that we're we're all pretty supportive of one another. We're all working towards similar goals. We hold each other accountable. Um, we enjoy the process, you know, um, all, all three of us really enjoy working hard and, um, working towards our goals. Um, it, it's not something that someone's forcing us to do that. Um, so I think, you know, Dave Durden, he's, he's our coach and, um, not only does he know swimming and and how to create a great swimmer, but he also understands the importance of creating the perfect environment to harbor um, the best athletes. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit more about that environment. What, what exactly is that, would you say? Well, I think, you know, you could have teams where people don't really enjoy what they're doing. You know, like you hear so many athletes um, say that, you know, they love competition, but they hate the daily grind. And, um, I don't know, like I, I, I've never, I haven't looked at it that way. Um, I, I, I love the daily grind. I love the challenge of every day and, uh, you know, working with Tom and Nathan and all these other guys, they love it too. Like they love pushing each other in the gym they love pushing each other in the pool. They love talking trash in a supportive way. Um, and, and they love competing, whether it's, you know, in a real competition or just in practice. And 
uh, having an overall positive environment just fosters that sense of um, it fosters that drive and in, in, in the best, healthiest way. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your, your earlier life. And was that something you had when you were growing up swimming? Was it a similar environment? And kind of how did you when did you realize that you were going to be this good a swimmer? um so I have always been very confident and um when I was younger it was not deserved it was just for whatever reason I was just a very confident kid um I I think part of that is my parents and the way that they raised me but also I think that's just one of those nature and nurture I think part of it it was nature I was just born that way um I was born competitive and um, you know, my, my parents just told me I was great at things and I believed them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so when I was six was when I started swimming and I thought I was great and I wasn't, um, but I was super competitive. And so if anyone ever beat me, I would look at what they're doing and, and just try and figure out a way to beat them the next time. And so over the years, um, you know, that, that sense of confidence was actually backed up by some, some talent, but mostly hard work. Um, and by about age 13 was when I had my first taste of, of real success. So that's when, um, I made, you know, junior nationals for the first time. And then I, in the same year I made nationals for the first time and finaled at nationals. Um, so 13 was a big, big year for me. And that, um, was really when I realized that I could actually make the Olympic team at some point. Um, and that's when I really started to focus in on swimming. Do you have any brothers or sisters, Natalie? I do. I have a younger sister um, who, who's three years younger than me. Did she have a similar mindset? She did not. Um, she was a swimmer like I was, and she was very talented. Um, but she likes to say that I had athletics and she had a social life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I never really looked at it that way. I definitely gave up things as a high school, um, you know, just as a teenager in high school, but, um, she enjoyed the social aspects of high school more than, um, the athletic ones. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's each to their own, but you've now got a whole host of Olympic medals and the first lot came in 2004. Tell us about that, that whole first Olympic experience. Oh my gosh. It was so crazy because, you know, for so many years I was training for the Olympic games and I was so close to making my first Olympics in, um, in Sydney in 2000. And I had this horrific injury in my shoulder. Um, I, I tore my labrum in my left shoulder and I couldn't train the way that I needed to train to, to make that team and ended up getting fourth, uh, at our, our Olympic trials when you need to get first or second. Um, so I was so close to that goal and I saw it being taken away from me because of an injury, um, where basically I was just working really, really hard, ignoring the pain in my body, pushing through, you know, all those ideas of no pain, no gain. Um, well, you have to listen to your body a little bit. (laughs) Um, so, uh, you know, that was a a really rough go for me, but then fast forward four years, 
um, not only did I qualify for my first Olympic team, I did so in five, five events, um, and ended up getting five medals. And the entire time I was at the, that Olympic games, I felt like I was kind of in a haze. Um, you know, I, I had dreamt of that moment for, you know, 15 years. And once you're actually there, you have a hard time kind of being present in that moment. Um, so there, there were times where I just kind of felt overwhelmed and like I was kind of in a dreamlike state. Um, and so, you know, I had a very successful games and, um, I try to take it in as much as possible, but I, I feel like, like I said, I was kind of sleepwalking through it. And so when I went to my second Olympic games in Beijing in 2008, I really made, uh, an effort to take a breath and really take the entire experience in and try and remember the little details of it all. And, um, so it was a much different experience the second and third time than it was the first. Mm, that's really interesting because a lot of the people we've had on this show, they very often they talk about being in that present moment, forgetting what happened in the past, forgetting what happened in the future and just thinking about exactly what they're doing almost point by point. And it's amazing that for you, it was all kind of a blur yet you came away with amazing results, two gold medals, two silver medals, a bronze medal. Absolutely amazing. One other thing I just wanted to pick up on is you mentioned the injuries and we've spoken about being in a positive environment how does your mindset change when you have those injuries? Are you someone who sulks? Are you someone who gets frustrated? Or do you kind of look at it going, oh, actually, there is a positive. My body gets to rest a little bit and I can come back stronger. How, how do you work with all of that? Um, I've always been someone that my instinct is just to always push through and, um, you know, sometimes to my detriment, uh, definitely, <laughs> Um, when I was 16 and tore my labrum, it was to my detriment. Um, and, but I, rem I remember the week before the Olympic trials in 2008, I got this horrible pain in my shoulder, um, in my other shoulder, actually my right shoulder. And, um, you know, there was really nothing you could do at that point. It's a week before the Olympic trials. So I raced on it, um, kind of pushed through, assumed it was just horrible tendonitis, which is, you know, common for a swimmer. Um, and I, you know, I, I just, before the Olympic games, um, I just took anti-inflammatories just to kind of manage the pain. And, and once, when you're racing, you don't, you don't feel any, any injury, you know, you're so in the moment, like you said, that you don't really notice those things. And then after, after that Olympic games, um, I went to a doctor and found out that, I had broken the tip off of, um, the head of my humerus and it was floating in the capsule and, you know, had <laughs> like a torn subscap as well. So, um, I don't, I don't know if it's, I, I think I may just naturally have a lower or a high pain tolerance. So I'm able to push through those things. Um, and I've always worked with, or at least the last 12, 16 years, I've worked with physical therapists that help me stay healthy um, while still doing what I do. Um, so I'm not going to take off a month or two months to um, for an injury. I'll, I'll 
figure out workarounds and try and stay as healthy as possible. But sometimes, sometimes injuries happen, unfortunately. Um, but from, from all those injuries, I learned how to get better. Um, you know, I, I looked at a lot of those injuries ultimately as a blessing as like, okay, well, how did you chip that shoulder? It was because you were so tight in areas um, of your back that it's pushing your shoulders forward. And maybe your stroke isn't as good as you thought it was. Maybe you have to change it in this way. Um, so those injuries really force you to look at what you're doing and they force you to become more efficient. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. More from three-time Olympic champion Natalie Coughlin in just a moment. But a quick reminder that today's show is brought to you by Audible. They're one of the leading supplies of audiobooks in the world. 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. It's a product I personally use. I've listened to lots of audiobooks, including the autobiography by Carlo Ancelotti, a really good book there. Listen to that one. Also, Daniel Bryan's Yes, among many others. Go listen to it and do it using your 30-day free trial and your one free audiobook download. It's really easy. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best to check out their service if you do it, let me know. Send me a tweet. Let me know what you think of the service and if there are any improvements you think it should make, whether you didn't like it or you loved it. Let me know at Richard underscore par on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. Well, let's go back to listening to one of the greatest swimmers of all time, Natalie Coglin. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. 
mentioned physical therapists there. What are the other people which are normally surrounding you to to become the the champion swimmer? What what, what is a, a typical Olympic swimmers team? Who are the, who are the kind of people involved and, and what roles do they take? Yeah, so everyone's different. Um, you know, e- even though on the Olympic team there's 50 swimmers approximately, 25 men, 25 women. Um, Everyone's team is going to be different amongst those those people. Uh, For me, uh, my team has been, you know, obviously my teammates and then my swim coach, um, my strength coach who checks in with my swim coach to make sure that um, their, their training is coinciding so that you know, hard days and easy days are, um, are, are working together. Um, so, you know, we're working towards the same goal. Um, I have a physical therapist. Um, so she does everything from, you know, Graston and cupping to very, very deep, deep, uh, body work. Um, I would not call it massage because it's not enjoyable, (laughs) um, but deep tissue, tissue work. Um, and then also I have, um, a massage therapist that I work with, um, that, you know, maybe once a week, once every other week get just a a relaxing massage. Um, and then we have for the, um, USA swimming, there's a dietitian that we have at our dispense. Um, so you could check in with her or you could not, it's completely up to you. And, you know, I would check in with her every once in a while, make sure I'm getting, um, all the foods that I need to get. And, um, from there it's, yeah, everything else, you know, I, I cook for myself. I don't have, you know, a chef or anything like that. Um, and it's just taking care of yourself, surrounding yourself with people that know your goals and know what you're working towards and will help support you in any way so when you headed towards the 2008 games you 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 had the success of Athens behind you Uh, was there any added pressure and uh, I believe you were the joint captain of the swimming team as well maybe just tell us what what that involved and did that uh, was that a positive or or a negative influence on on how how those games went for you yeah no I I always thought that uh, being captain as a positive Um, I think that a lot of people recognized that I had been to an Olympic games and not only did I have great relationships with the swimmers on the team, but I also had great relationships with the staff, um, you know, the coaching staff and the national team director. Um, so I could play, you know, a good, uh, liaison between, between those two groups because I, I never had a problem you know, voicing my opinions (laughs) and I never had problem, you know, respectfully speaking with authority. So, um, I always took great pride when I, when I was a captain. Um, but yeah, going into the 2008 games, it was, I had a lot of pressure on me because earlier that year I had broken the world record in the Hunter backstroke. I was the defending gold medalist. Um, so in many ways, you have a target on your back. Um, you know, going into the 2004 games, I was a favorite, but it wasn't to the extent of 2008 because um, I had been there and I was the defending champion. And so everyone wants to kind of knock you off that throne. 
Um, and I was put placing a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and then, you know, on top of it, you have sponsors who are counting on you and, um, and all that other, all that other stuff. And so, um, I definitely felt the pressure, but in many ways, the pressure always forced me to have the best performances. Um, so I, I just remember after that gold medal in the Hunter backstroke feeling overwhelmingly relieved and happy and just every emotion you could think of in, in, in one, you know, in, in, in that moment. And, um, I remember being on that podium and, uh, an American got third. So she got bronze and it was her first Olympic medal. It was her second Olympic games, but it was her first medal, her first individual medal. And, um, I looked to my left and she started, um, to tear up, you know, she was so overwhelmed with that moment. She started to tear up and I started to tear up when I was looking at her. And then I started to cry because I was crying, <laughs> Um, because I'm, I'm not a very emotional person. And so I was more embarrassed that I was crying than anything. And by the end of the national anthem, I was just uncontrollably sobbing. I had, you know, snot coming out of my nose. My eyes were red. My face was all splotchy and, um, I was super embarrassed, <laughs> but, um, more than anything, I just think that highlights how overwhelming, uh, the Olympics are in, in the best way. It elicit, you know, so many emotions in me that I would never get otherwise. And, um, it represents the hours and hours and hours that you work towards your goals, not knowing if you're ever going to achieve them. And then when you actually do, it just feels like such a release, um, in the best way. Uh, yeah. How do you celebrate? Uh, well, that was only day three of a, of an eight day, um, swim meet. So I, I've got right back to, um, to, to racing. Cause I had, um, I had four more events, um, cause in Beijing I, I swam six events. Uh, so after the competition was over, um, you know, I met up with, my husband at the time, who's my fiance, my sister, my grandparents, my parents. Um, and we just have a nice dinner. Uh, you know, just, just enjoy, enjoy being around each other. Um, my, my birthday is always at the end of August. So it's kind of around that time. So just a nice dinner with some really good food, some wine. Um, because at that point we're, we're off our honor code. Um, the, the honor code for USA swimming, you know, it's like no alcohol, no boys and girls rooms and no girl, you know, all these, all these kind of uh, the, the rules are a little ridiculous because it treats you like you're a kid. But, um, once you sign off the honor code, you could then enjoy <laughs> a glass of wine with your family if you want. <laughs> oh, lovely. So your, your last Olympic games was in London, not as medal successful as as 2004 and 2008 how was that experience for you and the the medal you did get now did i read correctly it was plastic no 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 it was it's a real medal okay <laughs> i i saw that the the one relay bronze medal was plastic okay some weird thing i saw there okay i, I think anyone could write anything on wikipedia i, I, think, I think i do yeah, I don't think that was Wikipedia. Wikipedia is my normal go-to source, but I think it was somewhere else anyway. I need to 
not rely on so many other websites. But uh, yeah, tell us about your time in London. Yeah, it, you know, it was one of, in, in some ways, it was one of the most enjoyable Olympics because I actually got to experience them um, outside of racing every single session of um, every day. Uh, you know, I, I raced the first session and that was it. Um, and that was that was difficult for me because I obviously wanted to swim more. Um, I, I, I had a bad year and I qualified for the 400 freestyle relay. Um, I had a great morning swim and the coaches decided to leave me off the night swim, which I didn't agree with, but you know, you take it. Um, there, there's really nothing you could do about it other than just accept it. Um, but what was the most difficult for me was the, I, I was told to be ready to swim the medley relay on day eight. Um, but no one was giving me any sort of updates. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking of using you or not thinking of using you. Um, a lot of the coaches, they don't really look you in the eye when you're not having a great meet and, um, they avoid you. And it's just kind of a weird, it's, it's definitely a weird experience. Did you find that disrespectful, Natalie? Because obviously, you know, you're a, a multi-time Olympic champion. You've been the captain before. You're uh, a veteran of the team. I mean, I was the captain in London as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you could choose to look at it as disrespectful, um, but I, I didn't. It's, I don't think it's their fault. Um, a lot of times they don't know what to do. They don't know how you're going to react. Um, I kind of take it, take some offense to it because they're assuming that you're going to have some sort of massive freak out or you're going to react poorly and, and throw some sort of fit. Um, I've never once conducted myself in that way, so I don't know why they would expect that. Um, but it, it, more than anything, the way I've looked at it is they have no idea what to do. So they just try and avoid the situation altogether. Um, and so I understand, I get it. Like it's, it's unfortunate, but it happens. Um, so from that, what I tried to do for myself is make myself present for all the athletes there and be the best damn captain I could be. Um, so if someone's having a great meet, be a great teammate. If someone's having a tough meet, be there for them just as much as I would um, otherwise. Treat them exactly the same and just listen. Um, so I think the negative experiences that I had at London forced me to be a better teammate and it forced me to treat people the way I wanted to be treated. Mm, yeah, you're learning from it, every experience. Now, uh, unless I'm wrong here, you, f you failed to qualify for for the Rio Olympics. Um, how difficult was it not being there and kind of watching it? It what you know, it's weird. It wasn't difficult watching it. Um, I was actually working for NBC Bay Area, so for our local um, NBC affiliate. Um, and the first session was a little, little tough, uh, you know, watching the 400 freestyle relay, um, was a little tough for me just because, you know, that was one of the events I was training for. Um, I had so many friends on that relay. There are a lot of emotions, 
But kind of, once I ripped off that Band-Aid of watching the first session, um, from there I was having such a fantastic time watching um, not only my American teammates, but my teammates from Cal do so well. You know, people like Nathan Adrian, Tom Shields, Ryan Murphy, Josh Perneau, Jacob Pebley. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, but, um, you know, watching them achieve their goals. And for some of them, it was their first Olympic games. So I took a lot of pride and pleasure watching them. And, um, I was really enjoying, you know, the new challenge of, of working for NBC Bay area. So, um, after that initial shock, uh, it, it was great. And, you know, obviously I wish I was there, but I stayed in touch with, with all those guys throughout the entire games, um, you know, via text or WhatsApp or, you know, whatever. And I, I felt like I was there in many, many ways. Mm, I'm sure a lot of them turn to you for advice, right? Uh, you know, I, some of them do. Um, I, I think a lot of them, especially when it comes to being a professional athlete, I, I've, I did that for, you know, 12 years and, and that could be, um, you know, a bumpy road in many ways. Uh, so I've tried to counsel those guys how to balance, you know, not only your training, your training, um, uh, responsibilities, but also your sponsor responsibilities and how to manage the two. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've tried to counsel them as much as, as they wanted, but never, never give advice unless asked for it. (laughs) Cause I, cause I always found unsolicited advice to be so condescending. (laughs) And then you, you've kind of taken us back full circle there about kind of all the things that you're you're up to as far as um, sponsors and training and competing. And, and one thing we, we didn't really mention at the beginning, like how good are you with your time management and, and how good are you at kind of organizing everything or, or do you need people to help you with that? Or is it just something, a skill that you've all, always had? Because, you know, like I say, you're, you're a really busy lady and, and, and successful at, at the same time time I'm sure people would love to know exactly how how you do it (laughs) (laughs) um well I am very organized and um you know I I am constantly looking for ways to streamline my life um you know so last year um I got into uh the Japanese magic art of tidying I did did that make it over to 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 you um that are you familiar with that book no, no. T- t- tell me more, please. Oh, it, it's Marie Kondo. So she's a Japanese um, organization consultant, and um, it's a New York Times bestseller. Like as, as basically as soon as it was translated into English, it became a best bestseller. Um, so that was my obsession last year, and completely reorganized the house based on her principles. And it's and it's crazy. Like you enter, <laughs> you like spend like days and days and days like organizing yourself, your entire life and everything is so clean and and amazing afterwards. Um, it, it, but it's quite an event. Um, so that was my obsession last year. Um, this year it was, it was, um, bullet journaling. Um, so trying having a, um, writing down my daily to-do lists and, and all that stuff in an actual a written format rather than using a million different apps and, um, calendars and stuff. Um, but, 
yeah, I, I love figuring out ways to get more organized. It's like pornography for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that'll be one of the quotes we use to uh, to get people like me to look at things like plastic medals that, that that's what we use it's like pornography for me uh, if you took one look at my desk by the way you'd, you'd probably throw it upside down because it's as far from tidy as possible but i i find that really interesting what, what you mentioned about the uh the bullet points now i, I know we've we've run out run over time we've run out of time uh just one, one kind of quick question is is you you didn't make the rio olympics what what are your goals now for swimming um i haven't quite gotten there yet um i was in french polynesia in october um for an exhibition swim so um there there was a competition uh it happened to be in the ocean (laughs) which none of us going into that meet knew exactly what the format of that meet was so being the type A personality that I am, um, you know, I started training, training again for it because I didn't want to show up, you know, 10 pounds overweight and out of shape. So, um, I, I was training for that. And, um, and then after that, I, I took a little bit of a vacation and, you know, here I am now. So, um, I think I'm just kind of enjoy the rest of fall, stay in shape, um, physically, uh, through running and just basic strength training and yoga, and then, uh, reevaluate, uh, once, you know, Christmas and new year's passes. Well, Leslie, it's been so great to learn from you. We wish you all the best with whatever you decide and we know you're going to be successful in whatever goes forward for you. And we can't wait to, to read the book and, um why don't just before you go give us the details of how we can follow continue to follow your journey on twitter and various other social media platforms please yeah yeah please so i'm natalie coglin across um you know instagram and twitter i'm the most active on instagram just because i love i've always loved taking photos so it's such a natural platform um and then otherwise just nataliecoglin.com you can find all my information on that Well, Natalie Coughlin, thank you so much for your time and being on today's show. And thank you for being the best in the world. Oh, thank you for having me. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Thanks to Natalie for appearing on this week's podcast. We've been very lucky to have some of the world's greatest swimmers on this podcast. Go back and listen to some of my previous interviews. Nick Gillingham was one of the first ever on the show. Go back and listen to that, the former world record holder. We've also got multi-Olympic champion Nathan Adrian. He's been on the show as well as the Olympic champion Tom Shields, who we mentioned in this chat with Natalie. Go back and listen to them. And all of the previous episodes are on iTunes and on Stitcher and at richardparr.net. Have a look at all of them. If you're on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review. It's really important for the show. Also, follow us on our Facebook page. Like the Facebook page, in fact, Best in the World with Richard Parr. Follow me on Twitter, Richard underscore Parr. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear who you would like to see on a future episode of The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Next week's guest is the Olympic hockey champion, Maddie Hinch. You may remember she made those amazing saves 
to win Team GB Gold at the Rio Olympics. An amazing story she has. That is our podcast, which is, of course, out next Wednesday. All of our shows come out every Wednesday on iTunes and Stitcher. Can't wait to share them with you. I've been Richard Parr, and you've been listening to the best in the world. And I'll be back with you next week. Have a great time. Bye. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.